Well, good morning. How's that for an intro? I want to welcome you to Kingsway Christian Church. Parents, uh, this is a PG-13 message, and I am as anxious as anxious gets. So um, I just want to say to you, parents, look, if you're in the room and your kids are sixth grade and under, you make the call, okay? But we've got people right outside, literally, we're on point right now. If you go out these doors, there's some glass blocks there, and there are some people from all of our uh, programming, sixth grade and under, ready to help you connect your kids. If you're visiting, if you've never connected your kids before, that's totally fine. You can go out there. We'd love to meet you, pray with you, encourage you, teach you what, how to get connected to our programming, but I don't want you caught off guard as a parent today, okay? So please, I'm gonna buy you about two or three minutes. You can talk to your spouse. You can talk to your kids. You can make up your mind, and then, and then I'll give you one last warning. So one of the books I've been reading, commentaries I've been reading on this series, Songs of Solomon, was uh, a guy named... Um, Tommy Nelson from Denton Bible Church, and he gave this fable. I thought it was a great, great fable. So a man moves down to a, to a town, small town in the south, and the town is located on a lake. And when he got down there, he decided he wanted to meet people, so he went to where everybody's hanging out. Everybody's hanging out at the lake. So he went down to the lake, and he's hanging out with people, and all of a sudden, a crocodile came up out of the lake, bit some young man's leg, drug him into the water before the young man was able to break free. Mama ran over, screaming, crying. Her teenage boy got bit by, by a crocodile. But he was amazed. Everybody's sitting on the side of the beach, one doing anything. They didn't move. They didn't react. They didn't respond. They didn't do anything. Now, what in the world's going on with these people? He started looking around and noticing people got scars all over the place. They got arms, scars on them, legs, got scars on them, scars everywhere. But what in the world? Time went on. He was living there for a while with the people. Man, go to the lake. That's where everybody hung out. But he'd notice over and over and over again this crocodile come out and grab somebody. He'd grab a, a young couple who was dating and about to get married. He'd grab a husband sitting next to his wife. And every time I did, nobody, nobody did a darn thing. He couldn't believe it. So he went to somebody one day and said, what in the world is going on? Like, are you people crazy? Said, what are you talking about? I said, the crocodiles keep coming out of the lake and biting people. Nobody's talking about them. Nobody's doing anything about it. And the person looked at him and sternly said, we don't talk about crocodiles down here. <laughs> he noticed, though, as he drove around town, he'd be in his car and he'd hear on the radio songs all about crocodiles. He'd go to the gas station, there's a crocodile magazine all over the place. He'd go home, flip on his TV, there's crocodiles. That's all that's on the TV anymore. And he thought, what is wrong with these people? Now, this is the problem with where we are in many churches today. I believe you've got these two extremes. So if, if crocodiles represent uh, sexuality, you've got two extremes in churches today. The crowd that says, don't talk about it. What happens in the privacy of the bedroom is nobody's business. And there's a little bit of truth in that. The problem is people getting bit all over the place. There's scars and wounded people walking around everywhere. And culture's talking about it, but the church isn't talking about it. Or when the church does talk about it, it tends to do it in this way that's only condemning, and, and I've been guilty of this at times. You tell people what's right and what's wrong, but you don't ever give them a path. You don't ever give them a way out. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about it in the context of what the Bible says. And parents, this is officially your last warning. So, I'm not even going to show you the cover. I did it in the first service and looked down and went, whoa, that's a provocative cover. And I, I totally escaped me. You, know, you ever heard of the, uh, what's that test with the ink blot? Totally missed that one. So, this is Time Magazine. I'm hoping you'll trust me. From April of 2016, and a lady at this church gave it to my wife to give to me. And it's all about the effects of pornography on our culture today. I'm not even necessarily recommending you reading it. There's actually some Christian stuff out there that's way better. There's a mixed message in here, and this is where a lot of you come from. Your training on this topic has come from schools where they told you about all the various body, body parts or about the different things that happen when the chemicals mix together. Or maybe with your parents or your aunt, your uncle, your grandpa, somebody gave you some great advice one day. Except it's not playing out that way. And this magazine, although it's got some fantastic stuff, and I'll share in a moment, um, it's got a mixed message. One of the mixed messages in here is that hardcore pornography is literally destroying people. It's Time Magazine. It's not a Christian magazine. They are quoting non-Christians in this magazine. But they're talking about how hardcore pornography is destroying people, but then they are also encouraging that people take part in um, adult pornography that's healthy. Guys, I'm here to warn you, there's no such thing. That's the law of desensitization. If you're trying to fill your cup with something that was never meant to fill your cup, then you'll keep drinking it. It's true of alcohol. If you're hoping alcohol will take the edge off your life, you'll keep drinking it until you've had too much. You'll be a full-blown alcoholic. You can say the same thing about prescription medicines, and it's certainly true of sex. And I say this, I say this out of love. If today, and through our message, if you young people, single people, married people who've blown it, or for those of you who uh, 
are divorced. And this is the reason. If anybody in here, if your eyes are, are spending the entire time down looking at the floor because of shame, then I have failed you. I have failed you. You just need to know this. Jesus was a carpenter. And carpenters like to build and rebuild and renovate. And Jesus has always been a carpenter. And it's what he wants to do in your life today. But there's some wisdom, some things i got to share with you. And I think it's fascinating that Time Magazine is saying some of these things. So some of the people they interview. So for instance, one of the men in here, he's quoted throughout, his last name is Deem. He says this. Again, he spent years addicted to pornography. He's now trying to help other people stop. He says, I would tell my son, I'll be straight up with you, son, all super stimulating things like internet porn, junk food, and drugs. I'm not sure I'd put junk food in the same category, but (laughs) he did. Can be fun and pleasurable temporarily. However, They also have the potential to desensitize you to normal, natural things and ultimately rob you of the one thing you thought they would give you, the ability to experience pleasure. In this article, and this isn't new data, by the way, this is all old data, but time is now bringing it to the forefront, we'll tell you that the average boy sees pornography for the first time between 11 and 13 years old. And some of you know that story all too well because it's been your kid. One young man in my 17 years of ministry told me by the age of 16, he was so addicted and the stuff he was addicted to, I don't even want to say it, uh, but let's just say it was shameful to him and it would be to you. He stumbled on it on accident. It started innocently enough, but then the little things he was doing, you know, those things they say are safe for adult couples, it got control of him and it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough. And he was worried that one day he might actually get arrested. It wasn't illegal, just so you think I didn't fail as a pastor, but it certainly wasn't healthy. And this young man, he didn't have a box to put it in. He didn't know what to do about it. And his parents knew because they caught him with some stuff, but they didn't know what to do. Crocodiles be chomping on people all over the place. And here, I love this quote from this young man. I say young because he's 30-something. 30-something young man in this article, he says this. When I think about it, I've wasted years of my life looking for a computer or a mobile phone to provide something it is not capable of providing. That's non-believers coming to this conclusion. And I say this because it's a reality, and some of you have felt it. But look, it's not just hardcore porn that men are getting hooked on. First of all, the studies are showing that women are now getting hooked on hardcore porn. I know a couple that was in our church that... um, They got married, they weren't believers, and they were struggling, and they went to a counselor, and somebody told them that you should look at um, pornography together, and so they did, except all it did was create more anxiety in the bedroom, as he and she couldn't live up to what they were seeing on the screen. This this study alone, by the way, in time, I'm not even saying you should get it, it's interesting, it's fascinating, because some of you, it'll be all too real, it'll hurt in ways you aren't ready, and some of you men, it'll confront you in ways you don't want to be confronted. I dare you to read it. I dare you. And then there's this quote, because it's the other thing going on. See, some of, the, some of the ladies in this room, they're trying to figure out how to live up to the measure of pleasing a man. And nobody's ever taught them, here's what this looks like. Here's how we do this. And um, there's this young lady, she's in high school, and she says this. I'll be hooking up with some guy who's really hot. For those of you who don't know, that's like a one-night stand hookup. I'll be hooking up with some guy who's really hot. Then things get heavier and all of a sudden my mind shifts and I'm not a real person. It's like this is me performing. This is me acting and I don't even know who it is I'm playing, who that she actually is. It's some fantasy girl, I guess, maybe the girl from porn. See, part of the way that um, our culture has lied to us and deceived us is it's made girls think that they need to be something that they're not. And so you have girls trying to live up to what's on the screen to please guys and it's just not real. Then it's not just porn. Listen, it's, it's movies, it's TV shows. Look, I don't know much about Game of Thrones, but I know enough to know it's not good for you. But people tell me, it's the best writing on TV. How's it going for your heart? Is it destroying your walk with your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your God? So what I want to do now is we're going to open up the book, Song of Solomon. And we're going to find the most sensual text in the entire Bible. And oh my goodness, it's graphic. And I'm just telling you, it's in the Bible, which means I get to talk about it, and it's God-honoring. <laughs> and by the end of today, I hope all you single people, I don't care how you got there, divorced, widowed, never been married, um, I hope all of you have some tools in your hands to know what to do with your body, with your heart, with your mind. I know some of you married couples, um, I just hope that we have to recruit nursery workers nine months from now. So what I want to do... <laughs>
is pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak right now. Father in heaven, you know I've been anxious, Lord, um, about this message. I'm not anxious because it's not that I don't know what the word says. It's not that I don't know how to teach it. God, I'm anxious because, number one, God, I'm afraid of those who've grown up in the non-crocodile talking culture and churches, and they are um, they're upset or disappointed that we even have to talk about this. God, I pray that you would guard and guide their heart, um, that they would be gracious and merciful towards me. But God, I also know that I'm, I'm anxious because there are a whole lot of people, these words might fall on deaf ears and hard hearts. And God, I pray that that wouldn't happen, and I pray it starts with me. Lord, may I apply every truth I'm speaking today. And I pray for the men and the women in this room who desperately need the wisdom of your word. May it build them up and challenge them in all the right ways. May your grace and mercy wash over us for those of us who have failed. And may you give us what we need through the power of your spirit to be the children you see us becoming. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Song of Solomon, chapter four. Go ahead and jump in. I told you this in the book. She speaks first, she speaks last, and she speaks most. And every man in the room said, no, you didn't. You've not been listening to anything I said. That is not encouraging to your bride. But she does. She speaks first, she speaks last, she speaks most. And just to give you an idea, so I went through the New Living Translation, which is the version we hand out and often use here. And uh, the New Living Translation, right before chapter four, verse one, where we're gonna be today, he has spoken seven verses. There's one verse, the very first verse is like an intro. It's nobody's voice, really it's the intro's voice. He speaks seven times. Her friends speak seven times, so his voice is only equal to her friends' voices. And she speaks 30 one times leading up to this. Chapter four, verse one. Then we get to chapter four, verse one, and the whole thing flips, and he does almost all of the talking. And there is a beautiful wisdom in there for you men. Where we are at this point is we are now at the end of the wedding. It is the honeymoon night. And see, in Hebrew weddings, the couple would join together and, and usually there'd be a big party. It would last for days, sometimes a week. And then the couple would steal away into a private bedroom. The party would keep going on. And it wasn't weird like it might sound. It's part of culture. And everybody knew they were going in to consummate the wedding. And it was a beautiful thing. And they both waited for this precious moment. Remember, she has said over and over and over again, do not awaken love until it's time. Well, it's time. And he spends the majority of chapter four speaking. And here's my first piece of wisdom for you men. Open your mouth. Speak to your bride. Speak beautiful words as you're about to read. And you may not be Shakespeare. You may not be Solomon. You may not be a poet in any way, shape, or form. You may only know about touchdowns, home runs, and gears. But you figure out an analogy or a metaphor, and hopefully God's word can give you some wisdom today to share. Do not refer to her as a horse, a mare, a cow, or a goat. Just saying. Find your metaphor, find your analogy that works for you. And she responds in kind by the end of the chapter. Now, there's a great little book out there uh, called uh, Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. Maybe you've heard of it before. The whole concept of this book, it was written, I believe, it was written after another book, a secular book called uh, Men Are From and Women Are From. And I don't know where I'm from, because when I read the book, there were parts of it that I thought, well, this is wisdom. And then there are other parts that I thought, well, that seems made up. Did you know the author of that book actually was from a cult? True story. Sure you want to go read that book, figure out how to save your marriage now? Here's the thing. Truth is truth. And so you can talk to a friend, a family member, a counselor, somebody, and they can stumble on truth to share with you, and it's true. But if you open up God's word, it's true every single time, and it never misses on anything. So the question is for us to read God's word and say, what does it mean and what does it have for us? Well, in the book, uh, men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti. They're using that analogy. And again, that's just an analogy and I find it breaks down some too. But in that analogy, the whole point is this. So as it relates to your honeymoon night, to the bedroom activities, women's brains are like spaghetti. Everything is connected and interconnected. So everything that happened to her as a child and as a teenager is connected in that moment. If you have not helped with the kids or the house chores, it's connected in that moment. If you have not taken out the trash, if you have not filled up her car with oil, if you said something harsh two months ago, it's connected in that moment. Now, men are different. Men are more like waffles. We have our little compartment we live in. We've got our father compartment. We've got our husband compartment. We've got our hobby compartment, our work compartment. We've got all kinds of compartments, and we can only live in one compartment at a time. And we actually have a nothing compartment. It drives ladies nuts. <laughs> what are you thinking about right now? Nothing. What are you hiding? What aren't you telling me? Who are you thinking about right now? Nothing. Who is nothing? What's, 
And see, this drives ladies crazy all the time. And see, guys, you got to get in the right compartment in this moment. You got to be in the romance compartment because that's her trigger. That's her thing. That's how it goes. And if you try to live in that compartment, man, you're going to be miserable. That nothing compartment. She's not going to believe you. You got to get out of your head and into your mouth. Well, I love this because in this book, Bill and Pam Farrell, they give an illustration of this, which I think is glorious. So let's use the analogy. Men pull up to an ATM. They have four very simple steps. Step one, pull up to the automatic drive through cash machine. Simple enough, right? Step two, insert your card. Step three, enter the PIN number. Step four, take cash, card, and receipt. End of journey. Now, too many men think of their intimate moments in this way. Like, okay, I do these four things and it works every time. And then she messes you up because the next time it didn't work. And you're like, I did the same four steps. <laughs> What's going on? What's wrong? Why is she broken? <laughs> Here's how the lady's mind works. Again, this is Bill and Pam Farrell. You can yell at them. This is glorious. Here it goes. Pull up to automatic drive through cash machine. Check makeup and rear view mirror. Shut off engine. Put keys in handbag. Get out of car because it's pulled up too far from the machine. Hunt for ATM car and handbag. Insert card. Hunt in handbag for scrap of paper that has pin number on it. Enter the pin number. Hit cancel. Re-enter the correct pin number. Check balance. Look for a deposit slip. Sign checks. Make deposit. Make cash withdrawal. Get back in car. Check makeup and rear view mirror. Start car. Start pulling away. Stop. Back up. Get out of car. Take credit card and receipt from machine. <laughs> Get back in car. Put card in wallet. Put receipt in checkbook. Put car in drive. Drive away from machine. Travel three miles. Release handbrake. <laughs> Everybody in the room laughed because you know there's an element of truth. What was funny though is when I read that I went, what does it say about the fact that my wife and I are reversed? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be the guy up here speaking today. So without any further ado, Songs of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1. Let's find out what Solomon, he's the man in the book, says to his beautiful bride, the Shulamith girl, about her. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, you are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. You'll notice this same thing, beautiful, beautiful. He says it in verse 1 of chapter 4 and in verse 7. There are sections to this whole chapter, and that closes out the first section. And right in the middle, in verse four, he calls her neck beautiful. We'll get there in just a moment. But beautiful, beautiful, beautiful neck, beautiful, beautiful. It's not an accident. When the Bible repeats something three times, it wants you to know it's important. It's very, very important. In fact, that's why we call God a holy, holy, holy God, because there's nobody in anything like him. He wants her to know above anybody else in this world, you are absolutely fantastically beautiful, beyond words. And he goes to her eyes. Your eyes are like doves. It's the third time already we've seen this. He tells her eyes are like doves already. Third time in the book itself. He wants her to know this. Now, it was common for Jewish women, especially the wedding day, to wear a veil to cover themselves. He could have seen her eyes and just about only her eyes. And he's just letting her, your eyes are fantastic. By the way, a little note here. Did you know the eyes are the window to the soul? You ever meet somebody who can't look you in the eye? I'll tell you, there's two reasons. Number one, the shame from what they have done that nobody knows about. Has it been washed in grace that can't make eye contact with you? Or the shame that others have done to them? They've been traumatized. So they can't look at you because they're ashamed because they think who they are is what happened to them. Parents, you want to revolutionize your discipline tactics with your kids? Don't intimidate. Don't overbear. Just gently go over to your kids and look them in the eye and speak to them. Son, I asked you to stop doing that. You don't have to yell. You don't have to intimidate. You don't have to stomp. Let's gently look them in the eye. And you say, you're crazy. They'll pull away. Yeah, they'll pull away because they're ashamed. They know they're in the wrong. You do it for about two weeks, three weeks. They'll meet that look with love. Try it later. And on his honeymoon night, Solomon knows this. And he looks deeply into his bride's eyes and says, your eyes are like doves. And your hair falls in waves. Hebrew women usually kept their hair up. So what we know now, it's very possible that he's actually taken the veil off. However it is, her hair has fallen down. This, by the way, it may not sound like it to you. This is extremely sensual. She's let down her hair. This is a special moment. And now look what he says next about her hair. Like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. <laughs> you might not steal that word for word later, man. The goats in this area are, have black hair about them. So guess what color hair she has? Black hair. Now a shepherd, this is beautiful by the way, Jesus uses the analogy of a shepherd over and over and over again to describe himself. He actually goes so far as to say, 
My sheep know my voice because I'm a shepherd. Now, what would happen is a shepherd would lead his flock. He would know them. He would care for them, protect them. Do you get in all the ways this analogy is beautiful? It's a statement of protection and safety and how she feels in his arm. But beyond that, if you were to go to the slopes, the hills of Gilead, you imagine the shepherd is leading. He's out in front and he turns around on the next hill and he's watching the black goats coming down over the hill. And what he's saying is your hair has been let down. It's a statement of beauty. This is a beautiful moment, and I intimately care about you like a shepherd would his flock. She's from the countryside. He's from the palace. He's using language that's familiar to her. If he starts talking palace talk, maybe about servant girls or everything else, it doesn't connect with her. Men, think about this. If you, all you're using is sports analogies, it might be a reason why you're struggling. He's using a language that's familiar to her to say, you are absolutely stunning, baby. Verse 2. Okay, before we read verse two, hang on there. Don't go to verse two. Okay, it's up there. It's all right. It's all right. That's my fault. So this translation, the New Living Translation, is what we call a dynamic translation. It means it's not word for word. It's, it's idea for idea. So a lot of times you get word for word, but when a text is hard and you don't know what to do with it, the New Living Translation goes in and tries to translate it so that you get the meaning. So if you read like an NASB or a New King James or possibly even an ESV, sometimes you read it and go, I don't even know what to do with that text. It's because you don't know the culture and nobody's taught you yet. And that's okay. Those are great translations. I recommend those when you're mature enough to get them. In this text, they take out some of the beauty of the original Hebrew and they just tell you what it means. So some of my thunder gets stolen because it's right there. And the Hebrew, go read some of the other translations. This text is way more fun. But here's the New Living Translation, verse 2. So your teeth are as white as sheep. That one's easy to understand, right? Recently shorn and freshly washed. She does not have funky breath. <laughs> Come on, that's exactly what it means. Ladies, I might just say there are two ways, two ways to get into your husband's uh, intimacy. How's this? Number one is visual. We're going to see that throughout this chapter. And number two is smell. There's nothing worse than funky breath in this moment. Your smile is flawless. Each tooth matched with its twin. In other words, you aren't from the South, baby. <laughs> Can I say that? You got a bunch of chiclets in there. She's got all her teeth and they all look white. Now, this does not mean if you don't have all your teeth that you can't uh, make your husband happy, okay? Thank God we live in America. We got fantastic dental care. I expect 10% of everything you dentists make after this. In all seriousness, all he's doing, all he's doing is celebrating what he finds beautiful about his wife. And men, I want you to take note here. Men, notice what he hasn't even talked about yet. Notice he didn't jump to her eroticized body parts. He's focusing on her beauty, not on those parts. We'll get there. Verse three, your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Before I read that next part, this is beautiful. In part, she's got dark skin. She told us that earlier and she's anxious about it and he's just celebrating. Yeah, yeah, but your eyes are wonderful and he'll get to this moment. Your cheeks are gorgeous and your lips just stand out. By the way, it's highly possible she's highlighted her lips. There's nothing wrong with that. She's just making them stand out for this beautiful night for her groom. No, this is amazing too. I love this because your mouth is inviting. It's, some of the commentaries I read said it's more possible that rather than he's just celebrating her lips and maybe look pump and beautiful and juicy and he wants to kiss them, more than that, maybe he's actually talking about her speech. If you notice, throughout the book, she's not once nagged him. She's not once rebuked him or corrected him. She has only speaking words of encouragement and love and affirmation. Did you know there are two passages in the Old Testament, ladies, did you know this, that rebuke and correct a woman for being nagging? Two. Now I say that because in this moment, this is huge. This is like uh, wisdom for your honeymoon. Ladies, uh, the message that's out there today for men is you need to try before you buy. I know men who've actually turned to images on a screen or on a TV to learn what to do in this moment. And um, ladies, you can be your, your husband's greatest encourager and teacher. If in these moments you will actually open your mouth and encourage him and tell him what you like and what you don't like, instead of assuming he ought to know everything and then being frustrated when he doesn't, if you'll respond in kind by the words from your mouth being inviting, you can be your husband's best teacher. And then to you who are not married, let me just say, you don't need a book, you don't need a manual, you don't need a movie, you don't need a video. 
All the two of you need to do is to commit to serving one another in this intimate place and to being responsive to each other. And I tr- trust me, you will figure it out. It's actually not that hard. God made it so that two people can actually figure it out together if you'll listen and respond. Let's keep going. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates behind your veil. Some say that the cheeks are the most gentle part of the female body. They will tell you everything you need to know. This is why ladies, when they're on makeup, they highlight their cheeks and their cheekbones, right? If a lady's angry, you'll know it from her cheeks. If she's happy, you'll know it from her cheeks. My guess is either she's got makeup on her cheeks because they're pomegranate, they're showing red, or she's beginning to blush from the way he's speaking of her, which totally makes sense. And if you're paying attention to where we're going right now, your eyes are great, your hair is great, your teeth are great, your lips are great, your cheeks are great. And then he says this, verse four, your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David. Okay, again, put it in context. David was Solomon's dad, it was a tower, it was a strong tower. Part of what he's saying, you know, you ever hear a model and they stack books on their head and they walk around with books on their head to get good posture. Part of what he's doing is looking at her and saying, you have fantastic posture, baby. Your neck is strong, you look confident, you look proud, and you got some jewels on there. And there's a couple things here I want to note. Number one, that she's confident in who she is. This is important, ladies and men, he's celebrating that. And she's wearing jewels. Now, the New Testament tells us, ladies, don't adorn yourselves with outward jewels in order to get attention. Be adorned on the inside with the character of God, and then let people see who you are on the inside, and that's what's most important. And this is huge here because she's wearing jewels, but she's not in church. Where is she? She's in her bedroom. One pastor on this particular section, um, Tommy Denton down, or sorry, Tommy Nelson down Denton Bible Church, he said, I don't know what happens, but I think there's a store out there that four months into every single marriage, the store sends a wife a robe and it looked like her grandmama's robe and she wears it every day for the rest of their marriage. Tommy Nelson said that, not me. Send him an email. Here's the point. She has adorned herself for this night for her husband, and he appreciates it. But you'll notice what direction we're heading. Eyes, cheeks, hair, lips, neck. Let's go ahead and just be done. This is my third service. This part doesn't get any easier. This is biblical. I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible itself. Verse 5. He says, your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yep, it only gets more sensual. Now, what he's saying here, now, if you remember earlier in the book, and we'll see this here soon, earlier in the book, um, they are getting into an intimate moment. His hand is behind her head. His other arm is wrapped around her. And she says, whoa, stop. Do not awaken love. It's not time. We're not married yet. She says, don't go there. And she warns her friends, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't awaken love. It's not time yet. Well, it's time now. And now he's in this moment. He's saying, remember earlier when you invited me to the hills of separation, that was metaphoric for her chest. He's saying, now I'm looking at them. And he compares them to two fawns, twin fawns, gazelles. You ever been out in the woods and you see a baby deer? Now, a few things to note. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing he's saying here. First of all, you see a a baby fawn. You go, wow, those are precious. Second of all, they, guys, I'm not trying to be gross. You want to reach out and pet them. It's what he's trying to get to. I want to take part in this thing that is now mine, my bride. And the thing is, here's the interesting thing. You ever try to reach out and touch a deer? If you're too quick or too harsh, the deer flees. He's saying the same thing. Men, be cautious in this moment. Part of this Time Magazine article, part of what it's celebrating, by the way, or not celebrating, part of this warning is the fact that uh, porn today is, is trained men to be harsh and gruff. And Solomon here is giving wisdom to you men. Do not rush into this moment. Do not be harsh. Do not be gruff. You be gentle and kind and patient. Verse 6. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Remember, that's a reference to her chest. He's saying, all night long, baby, I just want to be right here. Keep going. Verse (laughs) 7. This is where he concludes his beautiful statement. This first section is done. He's walking down her body. He's made it to that area now. And he says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. She feels safe in his arms. 
Verse eight, I love this. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Amana, from the peaks of Sinir and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. Part of it, by the way, is this is an intense thing. You ever go over there and you see these mountains and these hills? There's like snow-capped and lightning that happens. They are terrifying. Lions and, and, and leopards are scary. And part of what he's saying here, do you get this? He's saying, in my arms, you're safe. Other men might have hurt you, scared you, intimidated you. You might even be, because you have waited for this moment, you might even feel anxious. You might even be scared in this moment like you would be in these scared and anxious places. In my arms, you have nothing to fear. Come down into my presence. I will be tender and gentle and kind and patient and speak words of affirmation and love over you. Men, do you hear that? That's what she's longing for in your presence to know she is safe. Verse 9, and I love this. Verse 9, 10, 11, even into verse 12. He turns from you, 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 your neck, your, your eyes, your teeth, your lips, all these things, and all of a sudden it's my, 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 my. And you may think, wow, that's kind of arrogant of Solomon because we live in America. And we think of everything as our own. But the Bible teaches when a man and a woman say I do to each other and they come into a marriage together, they are actually committing their lives to each other and her body is his and his body is hers. And that's what Solomon is getting to now. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. We got really close, but we never gave in. And now verse nine, notice this. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. Now, this little word treasure here, you may have different translation. You're gonna find something freaky deaky in there. It's gonna say my sister, my bride. That's what the Hebrew actually says. That doesn't mean they're related. All it means is it's a beautiful statement in Hebrew poetry of the closeness, the proximity, the relationship. He's going to protect her, care for her like a, like a brother would a sister. It's a, it's a celebration of family. The New Living puts in their treasure, I think, to remove the weirdness of it. But it's just this idea of she is safe in his arms. He loves her in a very close relationship. She's now one in the family with him. You hold it hostage, his heart, with one glance of your eyes with a single jewel of your necklace. He's just going back over all the ground that he's covered, just summarizing what he's already said. Verse 10, your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine, your perfume more fragrant than spices. Now here, verse 11, things take a little bit deeper turn. Your lips are as sweet as nectar. He's no longer looking, he's tasting. And he says, my bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. What kind of kiss is that? The French did not make this thing up. <laughs> France didn't come along for over a thousand years and they were not the first ones to the party. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. And now things start to get very, very, very poetic and beautiful and awkward. You're like, more awkward? Yeah. So I'm not gonna teach on all this. I'll let, um, it's obvious, all right? You are, listen to this, my private garden, my treasure, my bride. He wouldn't dare share her with another. He wouldn't dare allow her to be exposed or abused or hurt by anybody else. She is his private garden. And notice this, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Private, secluded hidden three times. What did I tell you about threes? When the Bible says something three times, it wants you to get it. This is a very Hebrew, beautiful, poetic way of saying she's a virgin. Ever since I was a teenager and on to my youth ministry years and now as a, as a lead pastor, people ask me all the time, Pastor, show me the verse that says it's not okay to have sex outside of marriage because the sinful human heart will always look for a way to twist it. There isn't any clearer passage. It's just in Hebrew poetry. If you want to find a way to jump through the hoop and not obey God's word, you'll find a way. If your heart is to live for God, then I want you to drink in this passage. Ladies, what that means is you need to wait until the night of your honeymoon. And you too, men. This isn't a statement of judgment or condemnation because I know this room is full of married couples who blew it and couples who are single right now who have blown it. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean there isn't mercy or grace or forgiveness. But it's a challenge to you. If you want the beauty and the submission of what God has called you to be and to have, then wait. Even if it means only to wait from here going forward, wait. I can never take you back to that moment. I can never undo what has been done, but what you can have 
is in Christ a pure mind, a pure heart, and a pure body from this day forward. And he is celebrating the fact that his wife has waited. Look at the next verse. Verse 13. The New Living Translation takes out any of the mystery about what it's saying in the Hebrew poetry, so I'm just going to read it and we're going to keep moving. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices, henna with nard, nard with saffron, fragrant calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, and every other lovely spice. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. You're like, wow, does that mean what I think it means? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. This is the most sensual text you're going to find in the entire Bible. Why? Because God created it. It's a gift for a husband and a wife on their wedding and on any moment after that when they are ready for this moment. And that's part of what he's celebrating here. I don't need to go very deep. It kind of speaks for itself. But what you need to get here are a few things. Number one is he's noticing as he started at her eyes and worked his way down, she is ready too. Why is she ready? Men, because he took his time and he was gentle and he used his words to praise her and affirm her and build her up for this moment. He didn't just say, hey, let's run to the bathroom, baby, or let's to the bedroom, baby, let's do this right now. He took his time, it was gentle with her. He prepared her for this moment and she is now ready. And you'll notice here, look at verse 13. It says, you're a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from mountains of Lebanon's mountains. When a man is referred to in his intimate ways in the Bible, he's often referred to as a, uh, as a spring. A woman is often referred to as a well. There are anatomical reasons why this is true, but beyond that, in this moment, this is beautiful, what he did in Hebrew poetry, he put them all together in one. Yep. And then what happens is just like an old movie. The lights fade to black. And they don't actually show you what happens next. You just know what happens next. It's an intimate, private thing. You don't need to know anymore. You just need to know. They're here. And the beauty of oneness. I love the way she responds. Again, he's done, she's done all the talking up to this chapter. Now he's done all the talking with his words. He's built her up and made her feel safe and beautiful. And now she responds, verse 16, Awake, north wind, rise up, south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love, taste its finest fruits. This north wind, south wind thing is the only part I'm going to comment on. The north wind is powerful and strong and the south wind is gentle and cool. And she's saying to him, I want you and I want you now, but I want you to be gentle with me. Chapter five, he speaks again. And now we're now kind of after the fact. Chapter five, verse one, he says, I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with my spices and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. And he's celebrating, yes. We waited, we waited, we waited. We were faithful, we were faithful, we did it. And then this weird person shows up and speaks. Oh, lover and beloved. So it's somebody who's not either one of them. Eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. Now, if you look in the New Living Translation we provide, it says this is the young women. To me, that's a little bit weird. What are her friends doing in the bedroom? I actually, my youth minister told me about a friend of his who was in ministry, and I, I never got to verify this is true, who no, no, he said, he said he got a key from the front desk of one of his friend's weddings, and the morning after, he went into the room, snuck under the bed, rolled out from under the bed, and said, oh, that was a great night, guys. You have fun? Yeah. So, one of us is going to jail. Maybe both. Her friends are not here. Go read most commentaries. There are people who disagree. Go read most commentaries. This isn't her friends celebrating and speaking. But there is absolutely in the Hebrew another voice. And most commentaries will tell you that other voice is the voice of God. Who else would have access to a private, intimate moment? Who else would know all the things that Solomon said and everything that just took place? Who else could be in the darkness of the bedroom after this has occurred while the couple is laying in bed, snuggling together? Who else has seen and knows everything and then could say, good job. I made that gift for you for this very moment. Way to wait. Great job. But God, I see there's a beauty in that. Whether you're married or unmarried, single or not, there's a beauty in that because God longs for you to have intimacy between a man and a woman when you're married. I know this falls all over the place in here. 
And so that's what I want to do right now. Um, oh, I want to say this. I, did, I missed it last, ver- last, um, last service. Just to prove this point further, there are exactly 111 lines before this and exactly 111 lines after this. Nothing happens in the Bible on accident, especially not Hebrew poetry. Everything is systematic and arranged and thought out on purpose. This is the exact center of the book. Why? It's pretty obvious, but it's because God gave you this gift and he wants you to enjoy it in the right context. And out of the right context, it will destroy you. So, let me make some applications and... um, Give me some grace as I walk through this. I want to talk to the men right now, okay? Men, we live in Babylon. We live in Rome. I didn't say this in any other service, but I'm leading a men's retreat in September, and um, I want to encourage some of you men to think about, pray about going. Um, Get some more information from me later. Because I think men, I think we have been lied to and tempted, and we are, honestly, most of us feel isolated and alone. We don't know if it's safe to share our struggles with anybody else. We don't know where to go for help, and we don't know what to believe anymore. And we need somebody to speak the truth to us. Well, men, here's the truth as straight as I know how to give it. You're being lied to, deceived, tricked, and you're ruining your relationship with God and with your spouse and with your future spouse. You are. The purity of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength is so critical to your success as a husband, as a father, and as a man in our community. And we need you. We need you. This is not a judging, condemning statement. I'm just calling on you to step up. Please, rise above. Paul writes a book to a church in a city called Corinth, and the city of Corinth is an evil place. The city of Corinth is a sea town, and this isn't a teaching on Corinth, but you need to know some of the context. And so the the men, the sailors would come in off the waters, and they would obviously be lonely. And there was a temple on the top of the hill there, and I believe it was to Athena, I can't remember now. And part of that temple is they would have these goddesses, and you could just go up anytime you want, and it was called temple prostitution. And when business was slow, the sailors were out or whatever it was, the, the, the temple would send the prostitutes down into the streets to look for men, single, married, didn't care, and bring them on up, spend some time with the temple prostitutes. And as the church in Corinth is taking hold of the gospel and as it's beginning to change them, uh, some of the men are slipping back into these old ways, the ways of the culture. And then Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Now, part of what he's saying here, look, I get it. The argument in America is, it's my body, it's my life, I'll do what I want. And that's true. And if you're apart from Christ, you know what? I can't even argue with that. Except for those of you who want a relationship with God, when you came to God in Christ, what you did is you surrendered your rights to him. He said, your way, your path, whatever you want from me, I don't always understand it. It's not always easy, but you can have it. Because you and you alone are the only one who could save me. And that's what Paul's getting to. Your bodies are actually part of Christ now. When he came and you gave him your body. So should a man take his body, it's yours and it's his, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Never. Now, I know what some of you are saying, because here's what I said as a teenager, and here's what I said as a young man when I was struggling with some of these things. I said, but I've never been with a prostitute. This is why Jesus says, look, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I tell you the truth. If you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Jesus just blew this whole thing up. It said it's not just about whether you paid for it. It's about what you do with your eyes and your heart and your mind. Men, single men, married men, divorced men, I'm begging you by the blood of Jesus Christ, walk away. If there's a woman in your life who has no business in your life because she's an immoral woman, walk away. If there's a woman in your life and she is tempting you to sin against God and your spouse, walk away. If you are hooked on pornography on your phone or your computer or your tablet device, put whatever blocks, burn it, break it. I don't care what you gotta do. Take it all back and drown it in the pool. But do not. Do not take what Christ died to redeem and unite it with a prostitute. Never. And Paul goes on and gives more wisdom for you men. Verse 16, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. 
For the scriptures say the two are united into one. This passage right here, the scriptures say two united into one, that's actually a quote from Genesis where God's talking about marriage. And so what Paul is doing now is he's taking this intimate act that happens in the bedroom and he's saying, don't you know that what God is doing in sex is he's bringing the two together in one. Yes, you're gonna have one bank and you're gonna have one family, you're gonna have one house, most of you. And, but what he's saying beyond that is, this is bigger than that. This is the moment when all the emotions explode and everything is going on. You just feel great. You feel more connected than at any other moment in your life right then. Why would you do that with somebody who's not your wife? Ladies, by the way, the same is true. Even though Paul's calling out the men in Corinth, why would you do that with somebody who's not your husband? He keeps going. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now he's building this principle, you become one with Christ in baptism. Even if you're not married, this is the application, you're married to him. So honor him. And then he gives us advice. Here's his advice. What do I do with all this? Verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. He's saying, yeah, all sins affect you, but none as obvious as this. So don't play around with it and mess around with it and lie to yourself, oh, I'm strong enough. We'll stop. We'll draw a line and say, we'll never go there again. No, get out of there. Most men don't just flip right into hardcore stuff. Most of them get there slowly through Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, images here and there. Next thing you know, they're full-blown addiction. He's saying, get out of there. At the first sign of danger, run, flee like it's a fire because it is and it'll light you on fire. Verse 19, I'm almost done with this part. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you. He was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Men, please, honor God with your body. That's all I'm asking. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You've been lied to and tricked and deceived up one side, down the other. You can't go to the video store, a grocery store, a red box. You can't go anymore, anywhere anymore without Satan trying to trick you. Most young men I meet today, teenagers are getting hooked on porn because of a pop-up. The average age is between 11 and 13. Young men are stumbling into porn. You can do this. How do I know? Because you have the spirit of God living in you if you've surrendered your life to him. And if you haven't, I'll pray for you. Good luck winning this battle in your flesh. You can have the spirit of God in you today before the service is over. You can respond in baptism. God can move in and kick Satan out. You can have that today. Now let me close with just some advice. I'm gonna pray real quick. So men, that's my advice to you. Women, your advice isn't dramatically different. I'm not gonna give you a whole passage because I've spoken a lot of wisdom. So here's my advice to the, wisdom, to the ladies real quick. Far too many ladies today are physically aggressive with their words and actually with their bodies. I talk to young teenagers in, in local schools, and what I hear from them consistently is women grab their backsides, women make offers. One young man told me that he was struggling with purity and pornography, and he confessed to his girlfriend. His girlfriend said, you don't need that. I could do those things for you. They were teenagers. Ladies, you need purity, and you need to repent. Some of you have invited men into places they had no business going until your honeymoon night. You need to repent, you need to draw a line in the sand. You might need to kick into the curb, but you need to not go there anymore. Trust your holy Father in heaven to bring you a God-honoring man. Don't feel like you have to chase him by offering things that you didn't mean to or need to offer him. You don't owe him anything. Now, married couples, what do you do with all of this? I've spent the last portion kind of rebuking sin. <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not be merely hearers of the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. I highly recommend the married couples in this room go practice Songs of Solomon, chapter 4, through chapter 5, verse 1. And in doing so, be men and women of God. Again, I started with it. I absolutely would love if I had to recruit hundreds of new nursery volunteers nine months from now. Here's my best advice. If your marriage is struggling in this room, I just want to ask that you would commit to following God and allow him to heal what is broken. If you're in a good place in this room, would you take the wisdom of these texts and build each other up and encourage each other? Women, use your words not to nag but to build up. Men, use your hands to protect and not to hurt. Your marriages will be amazing, I promise. 
What I want to do now is pray. I'm going to ask the communion service to go. And uh, I want to prep you for communion in this way. So we're not, just listen. I'm just going to pray. I'm not even going to tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And here's what I want you to do is you take that juice and you take that bread. I don't care if you're, if you're not even sure you're a believer in this room. Do you know the blood of Christ is still available for you? This could be your first step towards faith. You could take that bread, take that juice, and thank God for his mercy in Christ Jesus. John is trying in 1 John chapter 1, John is trying desperately to get the people to stop sinning. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, praise be to God, praise be to God, that if you do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who goes to the Father on our behalf and he pleads our case. If you have blown it, praise God, Jesus stands before you and the Father and through his blood pleads your case. I want you to take that bread and that juice and thank God and ask God to heal you or somebody in this room. Let's pray. Father. God, I know this message lands all over the place for divorced couples, single men, women. Lord, I pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray for men in this room to be men of integrity, men of honor, men of God. God, I pray for the men in this room to stand up and say, enough is enough, and I'm not gonna go where the culture leads me. I'm gonna be a man, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much I get mocked, I'm gonna do the right thing because it's the right thing by God. God, would you meet those men in that place? And no matter how hard Satan tries to make it on them, would you encourage them? God, people in this room who need to confess to their spouse or somebody else, some hidden sin, something going on, God, give them the strength, the ability to do that. God, walk with them. Be the carpenter who tears out what the enemy has messed up and rebuilds it as a beautiful new thing. God, I pray right now. I pray for women in this room who've been hurt and abused, whose spouses have been unfaithful, They're finding it hard to trust and to love again. Oh God, by your spirit, would you rebuild and restore what is broken? You promise us in the Old Testament that you will give back the years that the locusts have stolen. Father, would you do that? And God, right now, I pray a special prayer for my friends in this room, men and women, who struggle with homosexuality. And a message like this of hearing the truth of your word about Sex being reserved for a man and a woman in marriage. God, I pray right now. I pray right now that you would meet them in this place. You are the perfect spouse. And God, I pray that if you don't change their, their struggle, then God, would you give them the strength every day to live for you and honor you with their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. May we be a loving body who embraces the fact that sin has marred all of us. We've all been bit by different crocodiles, but we have a Savior who loves us unconditionally and it's in the power and the name of Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.